What's up, y'all? You're listening to The Goat Rodeo, a podcast about how to do life, family, travel, and small business all on your own terms. Let's get to it. I've gotten the pleasure to hang out with and talk to Peter Hurley a little bit over the past year and just realized his incredible passion for teaching, his energy that is undeniable on a stage. If you've ever heard him uh, or seen him present, you know he's he's one of those people that just engages you in a way that opens you up, that makes you drawn in. Um, I was really blessed to be able to interview Peter and talk about some of the things he's experienced in his life that have helped him not only maintain and build courage, um, but belief. And the things that that has played out in his life and his family and his career um, in photography, but also in the things that he's accomplished outside of photography. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Uh, we had a blast. He's an incredible guy. Make sure that you check out his Instagram feed if you want some social humor on what's happening in the world, um, but also just some incredible uh, technique and insight into the world of people and photography and business. So I want to present with you, uh, Peter Hurley. Welcome into the Goat Rodeo. So, well, cool, man. Let's get into it. Um, so first off, just uh, tell me what's your name? Where are you from? What do you do? Hey, my name's Peter Hurley. I'm from, I guess I'm from New Jersey, <laughs> but I live in New York. <laughs> but you don't claim it. And uh, yeah, I'm originally from New Jersey. I'm a New Yorker now. Uh, I'm a portrait photographer based in the city and I got a studio and I specialize in headshot photography, I'd say. Uh, but shoot pretty much anything with a person in front of my camera, I'll do it. Yeah. I'd say you're decently well known for headshots. <laughs> I guess so. a couple people know who you are. I guess so. Well, I think one of the neat things about our podcast and hopefully the the basis of the people who listen to it is like, it's not only photographers. It's not only people like my mom listens to our podcast and she's always like, yeah, that guy you had on was really cool. He talked about some cool stuff and she's not like, she has nothing to do with the creative world whatsoever. So I love that. Um, I always love, I, yeah, I love, I love the fact that this is one of those things that's like, it brings people together from small business owners, uh, just to people who, who live life. Because I think the neat thing is like people like you are successful in many ways. And it's not only because you were good with the camera. So that was uh, actually a conversation we were kind of having offline was one of those things is like, um, what are, what's the something that you consider yourself to be an expert in that may not have to do with photography? Uh, there's this thing I was just looking it up because I was trying to figure out, I was, I, I work with, um, I'm, I've worked with some CIA agents and some, uh, secret service people, um, yeah. and stuff like that. And they, and they, and I've shot with them. And, and one of the things that one of the guys said to me, one, a good friend of mine, we became friends and he's like, you're, we train people to do what you do and we train them for years and you're better than what, what they're doing. And basically the, <laughs> oh, yeah? these were, these were CIA, FBI, um, agents that did the polygraph testing and stuff. So I like to say I'm a personality, uh, intelligence reader or whatever. I don't, I don't know exactly mm-hmm. what the term is because I've never termed it. It's like a self-proclaimed thing. It's basically an yeah. intuition because I bring it into my photography and what I, what, and it's what I'm working on now. It's what I'm working on the most. So I have no, um, I, I have no answer as to why I became better at directing my subject over the past couple of years. Other than mm-hmm. this, this is the one thing I'm like, engaging in their personality and intuitively trying to mesh with them to get what I want out of the person and reading what they're giving me and able to see what their personality is saying to me and then and then cater my language 
my body language, everything towards them so that I get the result I want. And it's so fun. They don't know you're doing it. And it's an intuitive thing. So you're picking up a vibe. It's like energy. I don't know. The person walks in and immediately you get this vibe. And most people are freaked out by cameras. So they walk in freaked out. So I'm like, okay, I got to chill this person. I feel it. And and then I'm watching them and I'm seeing what their face is capable of doing and then seeing how they behave with me. Are they a controlling person? Are they they giving it up to me? Like, you're the professional. Um, You... I want to do whatever you want to do, you know, and some people are like that. And then you just run with them and it's really fun. And then other people are like very concerned about their appearance. And, you know, they were like a train wreck coming over to the studio. They're late, you know, all that (laughs) stuff. And it became, it just became a deeper way for me to connect. And, um, and then an awareness thing on my own to see that I can do it. I mean, I, and I'm trying to, I think it's going to either be a book or it's going to be my next series of teachings, but it's, um, it's almost like, I think it's really hard to teach. I think you can learn it. You can teach yourself or you can learn how to do it, but it's hard for me to verbalize what I'm feeling, what I'm seeing. So it's basically, I, I can pride myself in facial, you know, gestures and, and what people are doing with their expression. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that, and that speaks to you a little bit more than just like maybe a normal person. Yeah. I mean, that's my thing. I mean, I'm a face guy. Like I walk down the street and you walk by me. I can't stop looking at your face. So I'm reading <laughs> into, and, and everything shows up on our face, how we're feeling and stuff. So I'm reading into that as I'm photographing people. And um, I just, it's go ahead. I was just going to say it's super interesting, but I was wondering, uh, is, did you realize you said I'm, I'm kind of more understanding. Like, I think that's, what's really cool is like when people realize they're an expert at something that they didn't necessarily like intend to train themselves to be good at, you know what I mean? Was there, was there a point in your life where looking back on your life now that you can see, I was seeing parts of the fact that I was good at this before I even knew I was good at this. I mean, I, I, pride of myself on my expression of my subject. So I had to get them there. So I, I, but I still, it's evolving as we speak. I mean, I guess for the last five years, I've known maybe a little bit more. I remember I was like shooting this one guy and I was like, well, I profile my subjects to, I'm profiling each person in my brain to see what I need to get out of them. And he's like, you've been profiling me the whole, you get all freaked out. You've been profiling (laughs) me the whole time. I was like, well, I'm just like, intuitively doing what I do. And he was like, yeah, yeah. after that, it was like weird. I was like, wow, I guess I should <laughs> tell people I'm doing that. I mean, why are you looking at me so much? Yeah. <laughs> but I think it also stems from my life and, and the way I am, because for some reason I'm very, um, I'm very outgoing, uh, personality, but one-on-one with people, it's hard for me to engage in their face and look at them while they're talking to me and see what they're, giving me because I'm, I get too engaged. Like I can't, I can't. Um, and people have picked up on this too and I'm still working. on. I want to figure out if it's me or if it's upbringing or if it's like the way I've always been, but it's very hard for me to look somebody in the eye and convey my point to them while I'm talking because I'm thinking about their facial features and profiling mm. them while I'm trying to say what I'm saying. And I can't, I can't do it. Yeah, so when yeah. I talk to people, I'll get, ga- I'll gaze into their eyes a little bit, but I'm always off because I have to be engaged in my brain and in that thought. And when I go to the face, my brain starts going into this 
tick, 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 tick. And I was like, I can't even look him in the eye and say this because it's distracting me. It's weird. I've, I've found myself like I have an incredible memory as far as like, I could tell you things about where we met, what you had on. Like I just visually, if I've seen it or heard it, I can recall it for some reason. It like gets locked in there. But when I get introduced with somebody, I have to physically make myself say their name back in my head or I forget their name instantaneously. Oh, and that's it's so weird. That. I mean, that's, I know, I know but it's so, it, it's so frustrating to me because I remember everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and I can't remember your name because I've realized like I'm thinking when they're telling me their name, your name is Chad. I'm like, why do I need to think about the fact that I'm going to tell them my name? So I just did this to you. So on, um, you sent me donuts, which was really nice of you when I got into quarantine, which was awesome. It was just incredible. Yeah. yeah. And, um, on Instagram, what's your Instagram name? Cause your name's not on it. Right. So I'm getting these. It's de Blasio photo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I didn't even know your first name till we started emailing or till I, maybe I looked at your profile and I saw it. Is it on yeah, there? I yeah. Guess on there. Yeah. I think it's on my, it's on my actual profile, but it's not in my name. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, I knew, I knew it, you know what I mean? I knew it, but it wasn't, I knew your profile yeah. picture more than your name, which was weird. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, what went through my head when you just said that is, um, and, and people have told me to do this and I try. So the minute I went, okay, Chad, I think of the closest person to me that I know that's named Chad and I know him and I, it popped in my brain, Chad. And now I got you as Chad because I'm like, oh, I think of uh, yeah. Chad. Oh, Chad. Okay. Oh, Chad, that yeah, Chad. Yeah, that Chad. Now I got two Chad, but I got like, uh, I know the Chad that I'm thinking of. And, you know, yeah. so you could do that if Your somebody says other name, things connected to it immediately. Who's the person that's the got that name that's closest to you? And then and then you'll remember the person later, potentially. Yeah, Try I it. would say I only uh, I've only met one other Peter in my life that I knew, like personally. Yeah. And it was like Peter Buckley as like one of my college professors. So yeah, you're, you're you're just because really? of who you it's are. Yeah, I only know one Peter. Yeah. That's funny. Well, so this is oh man, I love things like this because it's like I've I didn't I didn't know I was good at the things I was good at. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned like the things that you were doing intuitively, like you were just doing them. I didn't realize like sales was something that I was so good at because the way that my brain thinks about like what something's worth and what somebody's willing to trade you for it and all that just kind of like, just like, Oh, that's how it works. You know? So when that's I started cool. my business and I started doing sales, other photographers would come to me and, and be like, why do you offer products? Like I've never, I've never been able to sell products. And I'm like, how would you give them something any other way? You know what I mean? Like it didn't even make sense that I would just give them a product. Even a, even when I did discs, it was like, I was buy, I bought like one of those, I don't even remember, light scribe DVD burners. You remember those? Yeah. Like, like turn the DVD upside down. And I would spend an hour you had one of those designing. No <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would spend like an hour designing their CD cover because it was like, I want it to look like it came from Columbia House when it shows up at their door. You yeah, know? that's like, cool. So it's like, even in that product that I gave them that was digital, there was this aspect of like, it just makes sense to me. Like it doesn't, I didn't care about anything that I just got a file of like in a Dropbox folder. So it was like, this means this is more valuable. Well, I didn't know that people didn't know that or people didn't think about that stuff. It was just normal for me or natural as like, as an artist, this is part of it. Yeah. I I think the money aspect of it just came kind of, it's, it's a forced 
you know, some people are like, I'm an artist and I don't care about the money. And I was like, I care about the money. I got to figure this out. And I had never owned a business or anything. I had, I had like delivered beer. I had been a model. I was like, I was a bartender. I was like, never ran my own business or had to worry about. And then I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's cash involved. Here we go. Yeah. (laughs) This seems like a good idea. Yeah. So so for people that don't know who you are, don't know much about your story, like how long have you been doing this? And, and kind of what was some of your first kind of forays into art or photography? Um, I was, I picked up a camera in 2000, decided to go for becoming a photographer. I mean, I guess I had a camera. I'd, I'd been modeling um, in New York for a little bit. I'm a model. I was modeling. I was getting paid for the way I look. I was fortunate. Uh, no, I did get some good jobs. It was really cool. But the coolest thing was, is I worked with amazing photographers. I modeled for Ralph who was your, Lauren. Who was your biggest client? Uh, my first job was Ralph Lauren, and that was a great shoot. I guess my biggest client might have been... I was doing a lot of work for Haynes, a lot of work for Wrangler. Those were probably my biggest paying jobs. I did this huge job for... A pretty big job for haagen I did... Uh, I was an Abercrombie and Fitch model. Yeah. Got to do the ice cream. You, you modeled for ice... What'd you model for ice cream? Oh, I did an ad for me. I was eating the ice cream. It was awesome. And they kept saying... I kept asking for more, and they go, that model keeps asking for more ice cream. <laughs> it's awesome i did a lot of, you have i did a lot of stuff but i was not i w- wouldn't consider myself like the best looking guy around and i was going into these things and i was like oh well, maybe i'll get the job i got a lot of jobs where i had to laugh and smile i, I guess i have an energetic smile that they liked or something my agent one time was like why do you get all these jobs when i send them? they're asking for people who smile i always send you because it's either you or this other guy peter who gets it why, why is that i said i don't know and I just go in there and I act silly and other models would just smile. They would ask them to smile and they'd smile on command. And it'd be like that fake, you know, when you get asked to smile, that's why I don't ask my clients to smile, but I would yeah. do, I'd go in there and I would just laugh and shake around and do some silly moves. And people were like, all right, he's going to be fun on the shoot, I guess. So I got, I got it. Um, but it wasn't that- enough to make ends meet in New York. I mean, I had to bartend and I lived sure. in a fifth floor walk up. I just, you know, it was, it was fun, but it wasn't lucrative. Sure. But do you, do you feel like even looking back on that now that like you can see a connection between what you were just talking about a minute ago of like being this ability, having this ability with people and being able to like read the room even, do you think that that made a difference in you getting booked when people like didn't understand why are you, are you getting booked? I don't think so because back then I wasn't feeling it. You know, I was, I think as you age, maybe now I'm 50, I think you give a shit less about what other people think. Or if you have some sense of success, you, you're kind of like, like going to jobs. Like if I get this job, great. If I don't, it doesn't matter. Cause I'm successful. I don't need these people to tell me I'm great and book me. And I don't know, maybe that's yeah, not yeah. the right thing, but I feel like in my twenties, I wasn't even close to being, you know, intuitive or in sync or in even in on track to do anything in my life. I think in my third, I picked up a camera when I was 30 and I'm self-taught and I was like, I, I, the one thing that I had, which I think I got from my parents because they were both badasses in their own right when they were working, what my dad's retired and lost my mom, but, um, they were both driven, successful, um, work ethic was insane, you know? So I think my dad 
gave me this worth work ethic, my mom too, um, different things from both of them. But, um, I think that was it. So I, uh, I trained for the Olympic games. I made the U S sailing team. I, you know, I was doing that. And then after that, I, I got, that got me into modeling they wanted real sailors for a polo campaign. And I did that. I met Bruce Weber, who we became friends. He told me to pick up a camera. So I picked up a camera and off I went. But I applied this. I mean, the concepts that I used training for the Olympics and competing at like the highest level were basically the same in life. Like I had, uh, we had a pecking order, um, you know, and it was like when I got into it, there were about 60 guys going for one spot at the Olympic Games to get into the Olympic Games when I started. And I'd say I was middle of the fleet. So they'd probably say this guy's starting. You know, I won a national championship. I picked up, I don't know how I got into sailing, but anyway, here we are. Uh, I, I was like 30th in the country, and the, only one guy goes, and the guys at the top just absolutely bamboozled me every time I got next to him on a race course. Like I was not good. But, yeah. you know, I just kept getting better and better and better. And eventually I made the US team, and I had an awesome time. And, I, and then I applied that the way that I did that success wise to my photography career, I would say. What do you mean by that? What do you, you applied just the, uh, like the idea of like grinding on something or working at it? Yeah. Um, just the, I guess, I mean, to compete at the highest level of something. Um, I mean, you're just going to get lost unless your, your work ethic and belief in yourself is very high. You know, it's, it's very stressful, um, to be in a situation where you're getting smoked all the time, at least in a, as an athlete, you know, and you just would quit and (laughs) just be out of there. So when I picked up a camera and I looked at this thing and at first I wasn't even thinking about headshots and I, and then I looked at the headshot photographers in New York and what they were charging. And then I was like, okay here we go. And there was a pecking order because I was an actor and I knew all, I knew everybody. I knew who all the photographers were. I knew what they were charging. I knew what they were doing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to start. I'm going to go for that. And they were charging like a thousand bucks a headshot session. I was like, Oh, I got to get on that gravy train. How do I do that? But starting out, you know, you don't charge that. Like, how are you going to do that? And, um, you know, there were probably 300 of them and I just picked up a camera and started, but I was like, I'm going to go to the top of this thing. Let's see if we could do it. And I did it the same way I got to where I was sailing. I was ranked 17th in the world was my best ranking. Um, Crazy to think that there's only 16 other humans alive that were better than you at something. That point. Yeah. Um, Which was cool. And then, um, and then with the photography and I started shooting headshots in 2002, by 2005, I was the best headshot photographer in New York. I won best headshot photographer in New York. I think from backstage that year, I think. Anyway, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. So, so you, you mentioned this when you were talking about is this belief in yourself and also just the idea that like, just the pounding you're willing to take on a regular basis of getting beat it. Do you, how do you develop that? Like, what are, what are things that you do or did to get used to even the idea that you're just, it, you just got to get beat a lot yeah. in order to be good at anything. Well, I think the thing is, is that you got to build confidence and it's learned. Like you don't start anything confident. There's no way I started as a confident headshot photographer or portrait photographer or model or sailor or anything. So if you look at your life and you look at all the things that you've done well, you at one point you were not confident. And the only way to gain confidence is to have some success at something. 
There's no other way. I mean, you can't, you can't, there's no like sidetracking confidence. Like you got to do the work. <laughs> like it's just, yeah. ha- it's, it's, and I'm doing, I'm, I really want to talk to people about confidence because I think, uh, there were times in my life where I wasn't confident at all. And now, now I am. And it's a, it's also that brushed off thing as you age, like you just go, why did that bother me so much? Why wasn't I confident then? <laughs> like my first time speaking right. on stage was for Google and uh, at the Google Photographers Conference, and you can see if you watch that thing, I am shaking like a leaf. Like I am so freaked out. And now yeah. you put me on stage, and it's like, okay, what? How am I going to yeah. mess with these people now? It's the entertainment it. hour. <laughs> Let's go. Here we go. And I love it. And it was learned. And it's like that with anybody listening. I mean, you know, if you look at the things in your life that you're coming, like it's it's really it's there. You're capable of it. But it takes work. It was the same with sailing. It was the same with photography. It was the same with speaking, everything. Have you seen that it happens in like even, you said you have to have success in something. Do you feel like you you learn those things even as a kid? Because I think that's the thing that you don't become a 20-something year old that's just like, I can totally do this unless you've had a good number of those years telling you in small ways that you can do things. You know what I mean? Like, do you think there's things that, that people can be practicing now, even in just like their day-to-day life that helps them get success or small successes at things? Well, I think, yeah, I think what you can do, I think the first thing you got to find out is, is let's say whatever job you're in and let's say you, it doesn't matter about whether you love it or you hate it or you want to change it or whatever. I'm, I'm just saying beyond that, even with my photography, I love it. I don't feel like I'm working. I I'm dying to be in the studio every day. I can't get enough of it. Um, but you need to have an outlet so and a creative outlet or whatever that is. So for me, it's sailing. I go sailing all the time. I love it. I'm like out there. I'm, it fires me up. It rejuvenates me for when I go and shoot. So if you're in this nine to fiver, you need to have that thing that really fires you up that you're really good at or that you want to learn and become good at. And um, you know, just a little bit of success means that you can have a lot of success. So uh, you know, success, I... I I, everybody always asks me like, what's my definition of it? And I always used to say, it's making a plan and pulling it off is what I thought. But then this guy, I don't know if you're familiar with the Earl Nightingale. I study a lot of personal development stuff and I, I kind of got trained by this guy, Bob Proctor. And he was trained. Oh, yeah, Bob's an old guy, Bob's old, awesome. old, old school teacher. And he was trained by Earl Nightingale. Earl Nightingale. It's the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. So for his definition of success, all you have to do is try to go for something, you know, as long as you're going for it, you're successful. So I think people need success in their lives, which means that you need to light a fire under your ass for something that, that, that inspires you. Like if you don't have something that fires you up, I always talk about goals, but if you have a goal, it fires you up, inspires you, you have some success, you gain some confidence, and then that can spill over into other areas of your life. I, it's, it, that's a, it's a incredible thing to realize sometimes when you adjust what the goal looks like, how the, the goal that you thought you wanted originally ends up becoming just like <clears throat> part and parcel of working. You know what I mean? It's like, I used to, I think I used to think when I first started a business that making a lot of money was going to be my, it wasn't like I was doing everything I did to make money, but I was like, in some part of my brain, I thought when I make a lot of money, when I make six figures, then I'll consider that this is, is a good, like everybody agrees that I'm doing really well. But when it, when the, I guess when the goal shifted of like, 
on a daily basis, I want to feel like I'm impl- like inspiring people's lives and connecting them with the things that they they care about the most. And that that part of doing this business was my main goal. It, I got success all the time, which generated more success, which then I was making more money than when I was trying to make money. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And I think that, do you feel like sailing? Can I ask you this about sailing? Do you feel like doing that and, and having success or like having pleasure in that outlet has made you better at your photography business? Like, do you feel like it's oh, taken yeah. away from it at all? Because I think creatives, a lot of times, like especially small business owners think like, Oh, if I took time to go sailing all the time, I would never succeed in my business. Yeah, I I went through this whole year. Um, but we should go back to parents and money and stuff, like what you were mentioning at some point. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I spent this whole year. So one year, I just decided I was like, "What do I really want? What fires me up?" And and I'm old now. I mean, I'm not. I'm, I don't feel fifty. <laughs> so, but uh, forty five, you become a master in my sport. And um, I became forty five. I was out of shape. I lost, I was 230 pounds. The boat, I have to weigh 185 to, to sail the boat competitively or 190. Yeah. I guess I could do it, but yeah, I, wanted to be, I wanted to be 185. So January 1st of that year, I was 230. By July 10th, when the race started, I was 185. I went and I got second at the Worlds. So I decided that I was so fired up about it but this one guy beat me and I was like, and I just, he's really good. He wins all the time. He's really tough to beat. Uh, and then the next year um, I went and I got like fifth and I was really disappointed. So the year after that, I went gung ho and I made it my goal to win the world championship. And I went nuts. And I was, what I, what I wanted to do is I was like, okay, let's see if I can do what I love and I can still work. And what if I incorporate what I love with work so that I can not only sail and be on the water, but I can make a living and not lose, lose income. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> pulling up your, pulling up some of your pictures from that, that time. Frame. I was ripped. There's the, the gut and then the, the rip part. Yeah. Um, before and, before and after. Yeah. No, I did that the same day. That's just me. Flipping. But yeah, I I was like, let me see if I can do this. So what did I do? I, everywhere I sailed, I think I sailed, I was on the water 80 days that year, um, which I don't practice. So those are all racing days. Mm -hmm. Um, I just go out and sail. I mean, I might practice a day before an event. So it was a lot of regattas and a lot of travel all over the world. But what I decided to do so that I could still make the same income is that everywhere I went, I put a workshop. Or I shot okay. somebody or I put a, I had a job. So I, and I did it everywhere. And then I, I, so I did this and it was based off of, I did this, um, workshop once with Bob Proctor actually. And this guy was there that was a, a YouTuber and he wanted, he's like, let me video you while you're here. And I was like, okay. So he did it and he put it together and he goes, what are we going to call this? And I watched it. I was like, I don't know. Do what you think's cool is what it was called. It's a video on YouTube. You can look it up. Do what you think is cool. And that was the year I thought it was cool. I was like, okay, I'm just going to do what I think is cool. I'm going to go sailing. I'm going to figure out this money thing. And, uh, and I'm going to figure out how to do both together. And I did. Um, and, then, uh, and then unfortunately, I got second at the Worlds again. And going in the last <laughs> race, I could have beaten him, but he beat me again. So, and then, uh, 
I don't know. He just keeps <laughs> taking it to me. I went to Australia to sail against the guy again, and I was second in the regatta, but the regatta got canceled because of the virus and everything. So I came back home, and the world championship got um, canceled. So it never happened. So who knows? Maybe I, at some point, I, I still have the goal of being a world champion. It's going to happen. Dude, second in the world is crazy um, at anything. I mean, literally anything, but to like, to be old like you and, <laughs> and to still be incredibly good at sailing. Like I know that, I know that it's just like, it's that, that thrive, that hunger is such a cool aspect of this to me. Yeah. It's, I mean, um, that's part of it. I think if the, if people don't, don't have something that fires them up, it doesn't do anything. And then you don't become aware of stuff. Like I wasn't even aware of that thing where I look at people and I figure them out and I, and it helps me with my photography. I didn't even think it would help me with my photography. Like I could, I don't know. It's just a weird intuitive thing that I, I learned it from Bob Proctor. Actually, he'll, if you, he'll would bring, he'd have like these seminars where 500 people be in the room. He'd say, raise your hand. If you want me to tell you about yourself and people walk up and he just, he just tells you it's like he picks up on energy and then he can verbalize. I can't verbalize it. Yeah. I didn't know you knew Bob Proctor, but that's crazy because that's one of those people that I is the Proctor Gallagher Institute, the thought, the thoughts, the things that they've been doing with business development and teachers and leaders for so long that like most people in my world have no idea who he even is. Like they've never heard of Bob Proctor. They've never heard of Maxwell Maltz who wrote Psycho-Cybernetics. And there's like, I can't think of anything that's been help, more helpful to me than these kind of things you know i can't believe you just brought up maxwell Maltz. that's amazing so i i psycho cybernetics is like one of bob told me to read that book i read that book yeah i had tape it's one of my like <laughs> top five books ever wow it, it's incredible that's um what I, well, this is the thing is go ahead i was just gonna say this is the thing and why i think conversations like this are so important is that the way i would have thought about someone like you or someone that i saw you know being successful did not apply to me because I wasn't successful. Like you were successful. I was, I couldn't speak like you spoke. I couldn't, I watched you, you know, I'd watch you on stage and I'd think, especially early in my career, like I could never do that because for some reason there's assumption that you like started there, like you started and you know, you can say it all you want and people can hear like, Oh yeah, well I was nervous when I started speaking too. Like, but no, it's like, it's quite literally the concept that you mentioned earlier that I don't even know if you knew that that was how this works is like you develop confidence in things you do that you do more often. It's not because you're a confident person, you develop confidence in things that you do repetitively. Like, and the, and the thing that's wild to me is like, I have never experienced worry or fear or anxiety over things that I'm confident in. And that's the deciding factor. It's not even if I'm good at it, if I think I'm good at it, I'm better. The other thing is when we're relaxed and confident and just chill about things so much, the world opens up to us. And then we, and then in that moment, like I always, I always love it when I'm on stage and something goes wrong because I feel so at ease up there that I'm like, Oh, let's play with this thing that just went wrong. Oh, the monitor's not working. Well, sucks for us. <laughs> Let me see what I can yeah. but I go off. My slideshow didn't play. Let me go off on a tangent and see what we could talk about now. Anyway, but you would not do that if you weren't at a confident level. And then, and then I always found just for the photographers out there, when you're collaborating with your subject and you're on the same page and things are going well, 
it becomes the most creative thing because the juices are flowing and then it's just so easy and so much fun. I also yeah. found that the tough ones are where you learn the most. So you go through the tough ones to get to the ones that are just fun and amazing. And when you feel your brain churning, it's like, it's like the light bulbs are firing, going off in your brain with ideas to throw out of this person. Everything that you do that day, you should write down or try and just, just put it in a can so you can, you can remember it. Um, and that's all I did over and over and over again to get to get to this point, but it's cool. Yeah. I, I, I think the, the process my brain is going through all the time is like, what was the difference maker? You know, for me, like what was the difference between feeling this way and not feeling this way? Or what was, what were some of the experiences that gave me evidence that maybe I was a good speaker in, and what was the difference maker for that part versus the parts where I didn't feel good at it. And I found that so many things in my life can come back to this very simple idea of practice. Um, and I don't think I realized it. I think one of the things that um, I tell people this a lot, like one of the things that like, pulled a lot of strings together in my life was the gym that I work out with, the CrossFit community that I work out with is like the ideologies in CrossFit are the same ones that make business people successful. They're the same concepts that, you know, you teach at like, like a company like Giant that's teaching like leadership development. It's like they're teaching you the same basic concepts of like, you know, being willing to practice what you want to get better at and and being um, what you just said, like introspective, looking at what you did and saying, what about that worked? And like looking at them as data points rather than emotions. Like what what about this worked? And or or how did I feel when I was doing this? And and what do I want more of from that? Is it that aspect of of doing things is so crazy important. And it's so weird because it's, it really is one of the biggest factors in like someone being successful and someone not being successful is like their ability or their willingness even to, to practice and to get better at things um, and to use the things that they don't do well, instead of like speaking to like, well, maybe you shouldn't be doing this, but more like, okay, if I'm not good at sailing, do I really want to be better at sailing? Do I, you know, and what are the steps to get there? It's just, I think everything can be broken down like that. But when you decide that up front, maybe you're not as good at it as Peter Hurley, then you're probably not going to try it in general rather than just saying, well, I'll practice until I am, or I'll practice until I'm better. Yeah. How'd you feel when you first went in that CrossFit gym? Like a freaking idiot, yeah. like a fat, overweight, out of shape athlete, like somebody who didn't, uh, you know, it's like there were aspects of it that felt comfortable because I felt comfortable in around weights. You know, I had grown up working out and doing gym stuff and, and lifting heavy stuff, but I felt like a moron. And I would say I've been there almost four years on a weekly basis. I still feel stupid regularly. You know what I mean? So what got you to step through the door? I mean, that's like breaking through a terror barrier, basically. Yeah. Dude, like I would be, yeah. I would be like to walk into a CrossFit gym for me would be like, Oh, this is a big deal. I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> you know what? Right. Uh, ultimately, I think it's what makes everybody make any decision is what I wanted was bigger than what I didn't want. What I wanted was I didn't, I didn't want to be where I was anymore physically or emotionally. And then that was bigger than my fear of looking stupid or like of, and I don't think at that time I knew like, well, I just got to practice. I hadn't even given myself that grace. But in order to make that split second decision of like, I'm doing this is I had got, I had to get to a point where that was a bigger thing than the thing that was keeping me from doing it. That's well said. Jeez. Everybody can take, take that away. That's huge. 
That's a huge thing. That's, that's, that's something yeah. I've, I've realized in sales even. And I would say probably something you in, inherently do as a person. That's something you do. Why, how could you have ever gotten from the shape that you were to the shape that you are in now, or even that you were when you went to the race in Australia? It, it's, it had to be more important. Um, uh, one of my than business eating. coaches said, <laughs> what's that? Than eating. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It, it, your daily choices of what you put in your mouth had to be more important than the pleasure that you felt from doing whatever the hell you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, what's interesting to me about even that though, is like what you were saying is this idea of confidence. You developed a confidence through practicing those things that you could do it and you had done it before. And so like, there's a belief change that they talk about. I think psychocybernetics talks about this is belief change happens. Like there's two components. The first one is you have to believe it's possible the change that you want to make. But the first one has to be like, in order for you to get to that point, you have to believe that what you're doing isn't the right thing. It has to be an error in your brain or your brain will just say, that's all right. Like, I don't mind. Yeah. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. If if you believe that what you're doing isn't the right thing, you'll look for another option. And then if you find an option that you think is believable or, you know, like workable, you read about someone else at your age that did it, or you see an example of like other times in your life, you're like, oh, I've been able to do this before. Then your brain's like, it's possible and I want it. And it just, you just make the decision. Yeah. So cool. Wow. Look at this. We're going deep. I like it. I love it, man. I think, I think if we, if we kept talking, we could talk for a couple more hours. But one thing I really wanted to focus in on just real quickly before we wrap things up is, is what, when you think back on your life of like, it's not even like, how did you get to where you are now? But I think in, in many repetitions, you have probably had stories of like failure or like fear that you decided to go past. And it's a good tie in. I think we're with what we were just talking about. What were some of those like cornerstone pieces for you or, or a big story for you in your life that was like uh, just an absolute failure, you know, that you, Um, you moved past in some way. Yeah. I have one. Uh, for that, but I also have, I have something that I just got to mention because it's based on psycho So I want to tell this story just because it came up and it has affected me immensely. <laughs> Excuse me. Throughout my life. Uh, I was at the Olympic trials and, um, I was winning after the first day and I what was like, I w- this was in 2000 Olympic trials for the, and I, and I wanted to be the representative to go to Sydney for the Olympics for the U S but I had this mm-hmm. belief inside my head that the other guys that were my friends that I was competing against were better. There was one guy that was just the best. He's the best. He should go. He should represent it. I had this grand thing that the country should be represented by the best guy. And that guy's the best. <laughs> he beats me all the time. Yeah. And he was better than me at the time. I was on a very steep incline. Um, in in preparation getting ready for this event and i kept getting better and better and better so i went out the first day and i won and uh, i came in and he said to me if you keep sailing like that you're gonna win this thing and i was like wow he just said that to me i was like this is great so i went out the next day and i think i was okay the next day i went out and i did terrible and what happened was Mm. um again you get the pecking order thing going on in your brain i'm believing okay top five guys made the u.s team my goal was, you know, my real goal was to get to the Olympics and win a gold medal. But my ultimate goal that I would not ever allow slip through my grasp was to become a member of the United States sailing team. That was something that was really important to me. 
so important that I was like, that's, this is not good. So I had to get in the top five. In 1996, I was fifth going to the last race and I sailed a, um, the, my worst race, race, the regatta. So I finished eighth overall in the event and I didn't make the team. And I remember how that <clears> felt. So in this one, I'm winning in the beginning. I have a second day is okay. The next couple of days were really bad. So I went from first all the way to like 10th. And then I freaked out and I came back with a vengeance and I almost got third. I just barely lost third off of almost a tiebreaker because of a penalty. So I finished fourth and I made the US team. So mm-hmm. psychocybernetics is that we're like a thermometer and we're we're used to this one temperature, right? And when so yeah, yeah. so what happened was I was winning. So that's like going raising the heat, you know, to like yeah. like crazy. Like I'm sweating in first place, right? And yeah, I, absolutely. So I went backwards <laughs> to get comfortable. <laughs> So, so you're like, okay, okay, okay. Like, I know how to do I this. can be in fifth. Fifth, I'm fine. Yeah, Anything yeah, yeah. below fifth yeah. is not going to be good. And then I went to like 10th and I was like, holy shit, I got really cold. I was like, fuck, I got to yeah. back up. And then I went back yeah. and I finished in fourth. So we, we self-regulate to where we feel comfortable. That's why um, a lot of people are sit where they are. And to break that chain and feel comfortable in that first position I would have needed more time beating those guys. Like those guys were really good and I needed more practice, more time, more success to become more confident. So when I'm in those situations again, my brain doesn't regulate like that. And that I learned right. at that event, which was well, and that's, and it, it comes back to this idea of confidence touches into, you said earlier, belief, like your belief in yourself, it, you self-regulate because it's like, your car all of a sudden flying, like it's impossible. You can't look at yourself and think I am, you're never going to surprise yourself in finishing first and winning something unless some part of you actually believed you could win, you know? And that may have happened in the middle of the race. You realized a weakness or you saw a lead and all of a sudden this thing you thought possibly maybe someday I'll win was like achievable and you took it. But like it, it is, it is completely impossible for you to go beyond your belief in yourself because your, your structure of thought would literally like self implode. So like what's crazy to me about that though, is that your beliefs are a hundred percent manipulatable. You know what I mean? Like they're, they are malleable throughout your life. Um, my wife and I went through foster care training a couple years ago. We were talking about, um, adopting some kids and you know, cause we don't have enough. We only have six. What? <laughs> we, we went, we have six. Yeah. Well, so this is what's funny. We had four that we had born, had been born to us, to her and me. Um, and then some situations came up that we were able to take in my nieces, but what one of the, the just overarching like things that struck me over and over and over again through the foster care training was this idea that like kids can come from the absolute, I mean, things you can't even imagine real people doing to other people situations on a regular basis and a year or two years in a situation of just normal health, not anything extravagant, just like if I tell you we're going to eat, you can have food. And if you know, like, and you'll have your own bed, or you can at least sleep in a bed that you can call your own and that we're not going to hit you if you don't do agree with what we agree with. You know what I mean? It's like just a normal, what most people would consider like a regular environment, like a year or two into that, they start to believe like that's 
normal. Like right. that's possible is your brain can take the shape of it's kind of like those uh, it's like um, what's that stuff kids always play with the slime is like it takes the shape of whatever you put it in. Yeah. Is your brain's the exact same way. And like that's you had a belief. There was a belief that they were better than you. So to be better than them would like it would like <laughs> it would crash the computer. <laughs> Crazy. I can't believe you have you know six I mean? kids. Wow. Yeah. You're busy. Yeah. It's it's. I am. That's, but here's, I think this is the thing. Always, always, always. My brain is trying to figure out what am I supposed to do? Like, we're always asking that question. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, what am I supposed to do to like have a better life in general? Uh, these, these are the conversations that I realized these little conversations that we have, like we would probably just have, you know, like after a dinner at WPPI or sitting around the table, having a drink, like these are the conversations that can shape life and literally give people answers to change their world. Because you can develop confidence. Like anyone can develop confidence and you've done it and you've shown how doing it repetitively in a bunch of different arenas can bring you to a point where you become very successful and very well known. Like, I mean, I'm sure your story is very similar to a lot of people's that I know that are, are looked up to in the, our industry as like really successful. Like you didn't, in, it wasn't necessarily like one day you sat down and said, I'm going to be the best headshot photographer in the whole world at that point, maybe as a pipe dream. But then from like, you know, step to step to step, it was just like, I'm just continuing to get better because I have a hunger and I have a desire and I'm practicing the things that are making me better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Um, I, I, I got to tell my, I got to tell the other story about my oh, yeah, yeah. Tell the other story. failure that kind of, what's something you really, really sucked at? Those are my favorite stories. <laughs> I, I was sucky. Um, so I picked up a camera to get out of a bar, but I was doing the model actor bartending thing. So I was acting and I was, I thought I was a pretty decent actor. I had an awesome acting coach. Awesome. Guy. Yeah. And, uh, and he basically said I had talent, which I, I, firmly believed when I was like training, like you put me in a casting situation and I was terrible. Sometimes if you gave me the job, I was good. I did some cool jobs. If you got the, if I got the job, I'd be okay. But it was like the act of getting the job. And sometimes I get so nervous and be so, um, such a mess on set that I, I'd like fumble around and just be a disaster area. So I was like having this struggling acting career and I picked up a camera and I was like, well, I'm shooting actors. I don't know if I should keep on acting or not acting or whatever, but I got this job being a, uh, I had to be, uh, I looked like a guy on a soap opera that was the, one of the main characters. So I had to go in and I think I was playing a killer that killed somebody and then they, thought that it was him when it was really me so anyway I, it was guiding light i think it was the it oh, might have nice. been on guiding light i don't remember i did a bunch of soap operas i did um i did i did a lot on all my children with kelly and susan lucci and stuff but anyway i um i go to do this guiding light i think it might have been as the world turns i don't freaking know I know it was in New York and see, and it was CBS. I think it was guiding light. So I go there and I go in on set and they're like a well-oiled machine back then. Like they just knew everything and they got through their day. They're like, let's get this over with, get out of here. So I, and I walked in not knowing it and I hadn't worked on that set before. So I walked in, nobody introduced themselves to me. Nobody said anything. Nobody was like nothing. My agent just said, show up here and nothing was going on. I was like, what? what is going on? I think they told me to wear whatever I was wearing. I don't remember if they put me in something anyway. So we get out on the set and we, and we do the scene 
And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That was easy. I was like, we got it. We did a couple takes. And I was like, okay, cool. And nobody said anything to me. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm done. I don't know. And I was like, all right, I'm going to leave. <laughs> so I leave. And I remember I get on the bus and my, my, I'm on the bus going back home. And my agent calls and she goes, where are you? And I was like, I'm on the bus. Why? Why'd you leave? I was like, I, we shot the scene. We were done. Did you? No, they took a break. You were just practicing. They hadn't shot anything yet. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I did not know. And she's like, I was like, should I go back? And she said, no, they said they, they're so upset with you because you just took off that they don't want to see you again. <laughs> and I was like, and I felt like so small. I felt like such an ass. And I was like, I got home and I was like, this is a sign. I am supposed to quit acting. I'm not supposed to be an actor. And that was the moment I was like, I'm quitting. I'm done. Oh, it's over. I'm out of there. And I never, uh, I don't think there's one job I might've done after that, but it was just because it was for polo. I was a polo model and they wanted a polo model in the, in the polo store as a security guard. And I did this scene with Sandra Bullock and Hugh Grant, which was awesome, which I still get checks for. And that might've been the last of it. But this was the moment that it was like, this is a sign. And it was because the minute that I quit that and modeling, my photography just took off like a rocket ship. So uh, I look back at that massive failure where I felt so small and it was the biggest growth that I could have had. And the biggest, like, thank you, guiding light for, you know, being, <laughs> being my guiding light, <laughs> using me completely. And yeah, and guiding <laughs> me towards this. <laughs> thank you. Terrible, crappy TV but show. For that one me. in there. <laughs> Clarity. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny, man. Um, well, I don't think there's a lot of people that can say that crushing or, uh, dis, you know, like falling apart at a, uh, at a casting or a, a show was their, their best move. But I think, I think that's why I love failure stories because in the moment, uh, I think I talked with Jen Rosenbaum about this on a, on our episode, as I said, you know, like I had, I had gotten denied for a speaking gig or something. And it was like, it wasn't even like a really prestigious event. It was just an event that I personally cared a lot about. And I took it so hard. Like it was a two day, like mope fest for me of like, you know, I was at a point where I was like, well, lots of people want me to speak. I should be able to speak there. Like I have so much to do, like so much value to add. They don't, you know, it's like you go through all that stuff. But then at the end of it, I felt like, God, they don't want me. You know what I mean? Like what I have to offer isn't important. And she was like, you know, it's never, it's never in the moment that you realize what you could do with it. And I, I'm not a big fatalist, you know, I don't believe like everything happens for a reason or anything like that. Um, I would say more, I'm more of a like, well, this thing happened, what are you going to do about it? And it's never surprising to me that people that are looking for like growth or looking to like, well, that sucked or that happened. Like what's next. It's you always find something that you look back and say like, Oh my God, it was, had I been stuck in that thing, had I been had I been in that relationship or had I taken that job, I would have been never gotten to where I am now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's that's the thing. That's the way life works. So I think we have to look at the law, the the failures and the successes and figure out what the heck. If you look back at them, I'm sure the failures created more growth. I'm absolutely well, and, unless you just quit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, you could have quit. I quit the acting, you know, and the growth yeah, came from that. Right. So I did quit. Right, right. But you didn't quit trying to figure things out. You didn't quit trying to look for things that were like, make you happy and figure, you no. know, like, uh, 
give you opportunity. But now I look back um, at the acting and it, it helps me on stage and, and when I'm teaching and speaking. Great. Yeah. I actually have a degree. I went to school. I have a bachelor's degree in biblical literature, which is the equivalent of a literature degree, um, but with a Bible emphasis. So I went to school to teach and, and do um, write curriculum and help people kind of shape and form their f- philosophical faith thoughts, uh-huh. which at the time when I went through that and quit, you know, pursuing that as a career, it felt like, well, that was a huge waste. And then you look at what I'm doing now and about 90% of what I spend my time doing is in some way colored or, or blessed by those things that I did in school, you know, learning to speak in public and having to preach and like be in front of stages of people that I'd never met talking about things that are really sensitive. You know, it's like all of those things prepared me to be good at what I do now. Yeah. Cool. You know, and so, so it's, it's been interesting to look back on that and, but it, it's, it's cool. It's like in the moment it felt awful. It felt like I was going to like, I had wasted my whole life, you know, yeah. um, um, but just the practice of continuing that's, it's been so cool to see that practice, 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 practicing being better at this or, or even saying like, how can I use this uh, has really shifted a lot of things in my life. That's amazing. Well, Hey buddy. Um, I want to wrap up real quick. I got uh, just a couple more questions for you. One is, do you have any hidden talents? Do you have any weird things that you're good at that people don't know you're good at? Oh, jeez. Can you whistle with your nose or like, <laughs> can you like pick things up with your toes or anything? No, interesting? no, I don't have anything like that. Uh, that people ask that sometimes. I don't know. I have no idea. No, I don't. I'm not what's your most the top of my head. What's, what's, what would you say is your most useless talent? Like <laughs> valueless or doesn't matter in life. You just know how to do it me on these um, useless talent. I just don't. I'm no, it's not useless. I don't know. I'm stumped. <laughs> <laughs> useless talent. I have no idea. Well, I think of it like this way: useless to most other people. Like I'm interested in all, like all kinds weird, of weird useless things. Talent. It's a talent. Yeah. I'm 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 interested in all kinds of weird things that other people don't care about. Yeah, uh, that's what I think about. Like that's not necessary. Well, like it's not actually I useless. I don't. I don't I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't know. I really don't. Know. Okay. Something next new, question. Then. Sorry. <laughs> what was your, what's your favorite or a recent favorite, uh, job assignment that you've done? Oh, it's shooting. And what did you love about it? Lost. I got to go to Hawaii and shoot all them and be on the set while they were finished. Finished. It's the best job I ever did. And then I came back. Of lost, it. you said lost. Yeah. And then I came back and did an exhibition of all the work in New York. It was insane. It was just, it was just awesome, awesome job. I, I really made me want to, you know, be so psyched to be a photographer and I would love to do more of that. But I did that in like 2010, yeah. I think. I think that was the year. Yeah. So I'm ready. It's not, it's I'm not like, 2010 anymore. It's 10 years ago now. My favorite job <laughs> was 10 years ago. I got to have something that amps me up. I do have some cool stuff that I've done, but that one was the coolest. It'll be hard to be. Dude, I want to. I want to uh, thank you for your time. And um, just real quickly, where can people find you? What's the best way to get a hold of you? What are you? What are you doing next? I mean, uh, Headshot Crew is my thing. I coach all my photographers there. There's seventeen thousand photographers on the site. If you go to headshotcrew.com, you can check it out. There's a free trial if you want to get in on my coaching. 
Peter Her- Peter underscore Hurley on Instagram is always good. I do silly stuff. I, I don't post that much, but I do a bunch of silly stories that you can follow. I do post <laughs> a little bit, obviously. But um, You have a running story right now that's rather hilarious about social distancing, just kind of a daily check-in of New York's social bees. distancing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then PeterHurley.com is my, my website as well. Cool, but definitely, I've got a Facebook group on uh, for headshots on Facebook as well. If people want to join that, I was going to say, if you're in the photography world and you don't know who Peter is, you probably have seen him, and you're like, "Oh, that's that guy." Um, I didn't say shebang in guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you say shebang, and everybody's like, "Oh, it's that guy, the shebang guy." Yeah. You're like, "Yes, that's Peter." That's well, thanks for having dude, me. Dude, what's I appreciate it. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we'll look forward to talking to you again at some point, but thanks for uh, sharing some of your wisdom and some of your stories. And hopefully it's even jogged your mind and memory about some things that you really have enjoyed about being alive and building your business. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, just the connection with the malt stuff and stuff. I loved it. Cool, man. Well, thanks. We'll talk to you soon, bro. Thanks for checking out the Goat Rodeo podcast. Please be sure to like and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Goat Rodeo podcast or on Instagram at the Goat Rodeo podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to be notified as soon as new episodes become available. As always, we thank you for your support, and we'll see you soon.